tired. So tired. Overtired. Welcome to Overtired. I am Brett Herbstra. I am here with Christina Warren and Jeff Severns Gunsel. How's it going, Christina? Pretty good. Pretty good. And Jeff, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> I tried something new this week. Instead of just saying, how you guys doing? And expecting the two of you to buy for like yep. dibs. I split it up. I learned that from Jeff. <laughs> uh, when one time when we had multiple people on, I noticed that he very specifically like duck, duck, goosed people into talking. Jeff is a professional interviewer. I have a lot to learn from him. Um, <laughs> so I want to start off by just saying that uh, I really want to title this episode Thought Bubbles in the Brain Matrix. And I would like to tell you why. Mm, um, so my girlfriend, Elle, uh, she sometimes has trouble remembering words. I don't know if it's related to ASD or just a personality quirk, but she can put together like pictures of the things she wants to say. And she was trying to ask me about mind mapping, but she couldn't remember the word mind mapping. And what she came up with by way of explanation was thought bubbles in the brain matrix. And, and I was able nice. to put that together. I got that. I understood it. So here, by explaining that, I now I now have given us a reason to call the episode Thought Bubbles in the Brain Matrix and immediately explained it to listeners who like maybe tuned in because it was such a great title. That's great. This happens okay. to me all the time. It's like I, uh, the way I describe it is like I reach into the word bag and I just grab the wrong fucking word. So I just say whatever comes to mind, like Heffelprint. Like what it's like there are times when I'll ask for something and I'll just say that and and and, and my wife's at the point where she can just be like, Oh, you mean a spoon? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well that's awesome. Like, it's interesting because I it's probably true of everybody, but I know that between Elle and I, and this is uh the first time I've ever had such clear communication with a partner, um, but we have very different needs and the way things are said to us. Um, and we try to accommodate each other's need. Like I, if, for example, if I, if I offer an idea and your first response is, here's what's wrong with it. I hear that as like a no, instead of like, uh, that's a good idea. Let's see what we could do with it. I, I just hear that as a no. So I need like the first thing out of your mouth to be like, oh, that's a great idea. Here's a problem we might run into. Instead of jumping straight to the, here's what's wrong with the idea, uh, which is, that's the way Elle thinks. Like, she just uh, accepts that, okay, this is the idea we're working with. Let's start figuring out how to do it. Not a shocker, Brett, your love language is yes and. <laughs> <laughs> Not a shocker. Yeah. You guys want to do some mental health? Definitely. Hey, man, you guys want to go in the back room and do some mental health? I, I got, like I it. Got the, I got <laughs> the good stuff. I got the good I got, stuff. I got the good Come stuff. On. Yeah. Who wants to start? I could start. I have been just over the last week. There's been just a lot going on. So we we went to a video game convention, my boys and I and their friends. I rented a couple of hotel rooms using points. And so we stayed in the hotel where the convention was. It's kind of like a 24-hour thing. And what I get out of that is being able to go downstairs at like 11 o'clock and play whatever pinball machines I want for a long time for free, which is really wonderful. 
but also I was like responsible for, you know, like I, I would set up like a sandwich buffet for these kids, like every day, a couple times a day. And like, just generally tracking these two age groups around 13 and around 16. And, um, it was wonderful. And, and it was like, it was a lot to do, which was, but it was totally great. And then that was three days. And then the next day we went to the state fair here in Minnesota for the whole day. Um, and then yesterday was like my first day back. And I remembered I had scheduled with a good friend to take a walk. And uh, I did that thing that happens to me all the time where I'm just like, oh man, I'm not ready for this right now. And I like came so close to canceling so many times, but I've been challenging myself lately to say yes more often (laughs) and trust that yes in general (laughs) on balance uh, makes me happier than no. And so I, I just decided not to cancel, which he didn't even know was a yes, because it was already planned, you know, but that is, that is my way. And we had just a lovely night. We had a lovely dinner and a lovely walk in this nature reserve around here. And then at the same time, a neighbor of ours, who we are really close friends with, we have something called the border bar. It's at our fence between our two houses. We meet there even in the winter when it's really cold and, and we just kind of call it like it's border bar time. We bring some drinks. You know, if someone's not drinking, we bring some bubbly water. Otherwise, someone makes cocktails, whatever. And uh, and so they had invited us uh, over for drinks in the hangout. And I wanted to say no, because I was like, ah, but I was like, no, say yes, say yes. And uh, anyway, so I'm just like, I find that when I say yes, I really never regret it. Like I might end up a little more tired than I would have liked to be. But when I say yes, even though I think I'd rather be alone, is actually like the thinking I'd rather be alone is usually an indicator that probably I could use to hang out with some people. Like when those people are like safe people, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be pleasant. Like if anything, you'll just have to leave earlier than maybe they would want you to or whatever. So anyway, I'm kind of playing with, I'm I'm reminding myself of that. I go through phases of this. I remind myself like, yeah, just say yes. Just say yes. (laughs) It's probably going to be good. I've heard the exact opposite from people who habitually say yes who have to practice saying no. Um, And I'm a person, like, it took me until I was maybe 35 years old before I realized that if someone asked me to do something, even if it sounded cool, I was allowed to say no uh, and conserve my energy and my time because I would take on, like, every project, every crazy idea someone came to me with. I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Let's fucking figure it out. Um, and, and I wore myself very thin doing that, which is, I guess, different than like saying yes to a social engagement, That's what which I, I could yeah, probably do more of. Yeah, no, I mean, where you're at is more like that really important thing where you have to recognize that when you say yes, you're saying yes to one thing, you're right. saying no exactly. to a bunch of things. Exactly. And often those things are your own peace of mind, relationships, you know, things that are good for you. But for me, it's almost comically not that problem. It's really just about like when I say yes, what I'm saying no to is like essentially hiding. I am someone who, for the most part, will never be plagued by the problem of saying yes too much. (laughs) No, I have no one to say yes to. I have, after 44 years, I have essentially whittled away everyone who asks me to do social things. I can't remember the last time that I had a yes or no to offer because no one invites me to do anything anymore. I'm kind of okay with that. I'm I'm very okay with that, but maybe I should get out more. 
I was going to say, I think that like that, because because I think you're exactly right. Like there's the difference between agreeing, you know, to take on work stuff and the social things. And to your point, like I, I'm with you, Jeff, I'm somebody who I'm social and I go out with people, but I also have a tendency sometimes, especially the last two years, because the last two years have been terrible for all of us to like put off. You're like, oh, you know, I can't do it right now. Let, let's, we'll, we're definitely going to get together in the future, you know, to just like find an excuse to not do something. And I find like for my mental health, it's actually really important for me to get out and do things. Because as you noted, Brett, like what'll happen is, is if you say no too many times, people just stop asking. And, and that, yep. you know, is, is not great. So for me, this is something that I, I discovered, you know, that I wasn't like, you know, as a younger kid, you know, younger teenager, wasn't something that I recognized as being really important to me. Like being social is something that's actually really important for my mental health and having actual time with other people. So like face to face time, not just Twitter yeah, time. Exactly. And Twitter time helps too, but really face to face. I'm like, I'm the, really I, good at the Twitter time. Face-to-face, I, I don't see anybody. My mental health, I find, really is improved when when I have, like, a more active, in-person kind of social life. And when you're married and, you know, older, like, it's harder to make friends. And a lot of times, like, you know, the person you spend the most time with is your partner. And that's not great because, at least for, for me, like, it, like I, I can't just have, like, just one person that, you know, I, I see all the time. Like, it's actually really important for me. And I find that I, I do better in a lot of regards when I'm around other people. And so I have to, similar to you, Jeff, I have to like remind myself like, no, say yes, do these things, go out because you might have some anxiety around it. You might have some other things, but it's actually fundamentally really important to do. You know that your overall mental health is going to be a lot better. And, and it's just, you know, once you do it, like you'll appreciate it. And then it'll like be easier to like understand, okay, well, what are the things that I need to say no to? And what are the things that, you know, I, I can, that'll actually be really good if I go ahead and do. Yeah, for sure. I also have this thing where like, I get feedback from people that they enjoy being around me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I don't always believe that that could be true. And I think that there's this, there's this sort of weird um, self-compassion chess move in actually going out and, and giving of myself as well as receiving from people that is like, Oh, it's okay. I, I I like to be seen. I like to be appreciated. I like to be able to offer up whatever it is I can offer up in relationship with this person, um, just as much as I I love receiving from them what they have to offer. And it's kind of a silly, kind of upside down thing. But I've I've sometimes thought like I played it out and like you know if I only stayed home and if if everybody that tries to get me out completely gave up which m some people have <laughs> i would i think i would just like i would not be on a good path mm -hmm. that yeah i feel attacked to be honest like there are a couple people in this town that i enjoy um as as conversationalists um but nobody that i feel as close to as some of my online friends, mm -hmm. uh, friends that I see maybe once a year. There's, there's nobody in like driving distance that I really crave seeing, or when I see them feel like I've really uh, spent my time well. And I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to have a satisfying social encounter and to feel very enriched by that. 
I don't currently have any friends. And that's not to say there's nobody cool in this town because there really are. I've just, I haven't forged the relationships. And as Christina noted, uh, once you're older and married, it's hard to make new friends. Um, I know they're out there. I know I've had good conversations. Since I quit drinking again, it's been harder to, like, most of the good conversations I've had in this town have been not drunken conversations, but have happened in bars and have happened around alcohol. And there's a new bar in town, uh, like a hipster bar, uh, opened by old people. And I think it would be like a hipster bar for old Old people people like us. (laughs) But it looks like the kind of place that I would be totally comfortable going ordering a seltzer water or a Heineken zero zero and just sitting and being social with people uh, without it feeling like the darker a bar is, the more I need to drink. If it's a well-lit bar, it's basically a coffee house mm-hmm. and, and I can, I can totally sit there. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to try reviving that, but yeah, there, there's just nobody here that, is truly rewarding for me to hang out with. I know one's from Winona. <laughs> is he in Winona though? No, he's from Winona. Yeah. 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 All the good people leave. There's a guy here named Kalen, Kalen Larson, who is an awesome guy, super smart. Um, he, he's a hacker. He makes crazy cool stuff. Um, <laughs> he got obsessed with uh, label printers and turn it into like a full-time business writing software because all label printer software sucks. Oh, it's terrible. It's yeah. awful. And he fixed it. He like made uh, like boutique label nice. printer software that he sells for a hefty price to people who actually want to use their label printers. Um, and he's, he's, he's brilliant. He's <laughs> one of my favorite people. He really is. I just, I'm not good at, I, I really only make friends with other ADHD people who converse the way that I do and who just mirror my quirks in a way that's very comfortable for me. Um, And I don't always realize that I'm talking to an ADHD person, but I will realize later that is why I got along very well with them. Um, Yeah. Anyway, this is, how did this become about me? This is Jeff's well, up. I just want, but that's fine. I just want to wrap it, uh, unless anybody has anything else to say, by saying that I I don't want to be suggesting that the only meaningful way to connect is in person. In fact, I thank the gods that's not the case because, totally. <laughs> like most of my social life happens, whether it's like connecting on Zoom, if only because most of my friends are spread out across the country or the world or whatever, like. It would be, you know, for one thing, super ableist to just be like, yeah, no, if I can't get to the bar, I can't go out on a walk. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't count. Right. But like, so I really want to be really super clear about that, that I know there are so many ways. It's really very much just me. It's about me struggling to do in-person contact and about me saying yes to in-person contact. That's the, that's my, that's my personal challenge. <laughs> I see my therapist in person tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah. So I will, last time it was online, right? Yeah. I will let you know. I will report back uh, how that, how that uh, di- differs for me. Sounds good. That's great. 
What about you, Christina? How you been? I've been fine. I have no- nothing really new to kind of update since like our last episode. I've been fine. Um, like you, I totally agree. Like I love my online friendships and, and like interactions and whatnot. I'm just saying like seeing people is good. And I'm actually going to see a bunch of people this weekend because there are two parties I'm going to. I'm going to a, a, a weird hybrid birthday party that's going to be a lot of fun. My friends are having for there are two kids who are very different ages, so that'll be a lot of fun. And um, then my uh, my other friend, he is finally, the next day, he's having um, a birthday party. His birthday was in May, but he had to reschedule. So uh, barring any other things, we're going to be getting together, and I'm finally going to see his new house. So I'm actually really excited about this because, I, like I said, I, I do actually get a lot from being out and seeing people and like being social. And that's the thing I think that I miss them that's been the most different about my life now versus two and a half years ago, is that, you know, I used to see people face to face every single day reliably. And now I work from home, which is fine. Um, I, I go into a studio once a week, but like it's, it's you know, I, but I don't actually see any of my coworkers because we're all remote. And that's, that's great. Like, I, I love that we have that, but I do miss that, like, interaction and, and stuff that I get with, like, actual humans like I, I i there could be too much of it but i thrive off of it and and it's something yeah. that has definitely made my life worse not having so i'm glad that that i have that awesome house tours and cake that's in your future yep <laughs> i uh so i will i will say because uh, w- this is better thread here um like going to max stock uh this year it was a smaller max stock and um, I really focused my attention on two new friends that I made. Uh, one, one I had met before, but with my ADHD brain, when he contacted me on Twitter to ask what I was up to this year, I was like, who the fuck is this? Um, and, and L was like, oh, that's Shane. He, he's a really good guy. You, you had a good time with him. I'm like, okay. So anyway, we end up hanging out with Shane and, and another friend that, I met because we were we were at a table expecting um, Dan uh, from Agile to show up, and he has a beard and he's bald. And a guy walks in matching his profile exactly, and I just instinctively like wave him over. It's not Dan though; it's this other guy that I've never met before, and he realizes very quickly that it was a mistake, but asks if he can sit down anyway becomes like our best friend for the weekend. And, uh, and we had some really cool, really fun conversations. And I came home feeling much healthier for the social interaction. So I'm not immune to this. And I don't mean to imply that I am. And I should also say, I was, I, every year I have a birthday party. And the friends that I do actually connect with get invited and it got put off this year for various reasons, and I haven't had it yet, and I do miss it. And and there are there are people here that I actually do connect with, but I never see on Zoom. Like I see them once a year, and I forget about them until that time rolls around. So uh, scratch what I said before about there being nobody here. There are at least four people in this town <laughs> that I like. And also, just to note, everybody, if you are a bald, white, bearded man. Brett is going to have you bring it in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bring it in. 
You don't want a podcast records their sponsor reads and posts and then injects them into weird spots in the episode. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm doing that. And this episode kind of got away from us with all the mental health talk. Fortunately, today's sponsor is 100% about mental health. You just need to take better care of yourself is not a response to mental health struggles. You know it all too well. You live with them. Sometimes you need something more to achieve a real and lasting breakthrough. Maybe it's time you check out a guided ketamine therapy program. Mindbloom can help. Mindbloom is the leader in at-home ketamine therapy offering a combination of science-backed medicine with clinician and guide support for people looking to improve their mental health and their well-being. Mindbloom connects patients to licensed psychiatric clinicians to help them achieve better outcomes with lower cost, greater convenience, and an artfully crafted experience. To begin, Take Mindbloom's online assessment to determine if Mindbloom is right for you. If approved, you'll schedule a video consult with a licensed clinician where you'll discuss your goals and expectations for mental health treatment. Mindbloom will send you a kit in the mail complete with medicine, treatment materials, and tips for getting the most out of your experience. After only two sessions, 87% of Mindbloom clients reported improvements in depression and 85% reported improvements in anxiety. It's time to enter the next chapter in mental health and well-being. Let Mindbloom guide you. Right now, Mindbloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com overtired and use the promo code overtired at checkout. Go to mindbloom.com overtired, promo code overtired for $100 off your first six-session program today. That's mindbloom.com overtired. Promo code overtired. I heard from a bunch of people. I shouldn't say a bunch. I heard from four different people um, after our last episode about how they were also bipolar and they they loved manic episodes, loved and hated manic episodes, but they understood like where I was com- coming from with like my actual desire for mania when I don't have it, but then. <laughs> maybe regret when I do have it. Um, so that's been, that's been interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk more about it with my therapist. Cause I have that now. Um, yes. But uh, Friday I started uh, a, a manic episode that got pretty intense and uh, it's Wednesday. Now um, I started sleeping uh, Tuesday night, uh, Monday night and Tuesday night. I slept both nights and got caught back up. It was just a couple days, but holy shit, I made so much stuff in a couple days. Um, and oh my God, L is such a trooper. Like it's hard. I, when I get manic, I get very, I like, I just want to hide in code and I, it's a very, it's a safe mania. Like I don't hurt anybody. I don't, I don't spend a lot of money. I don't send a lot of tweets. I don't do outrageous things. I, I write and I code and, and it's, it's overall, uh, very productive, but it comes at the, the cost of like, uh, interpersonal relationships. And with my ex-wife, like I was having manic episodes that would last 10, 12 days. And I would basically never see her. And I would ditch her and I swore never to do that again. So I make my manic episodes are way less serious or intense now than they were. 
Um, and I make an effort to like be part of the family and to join. But L a is really good. She's fine on her own. Like she doesn't mind having the house to herself while I disappear to my office for hours on end. Uh, but also she looks out for me. Like she does what she can to kind of pave the way for me to just get through it. Uh, kind of pain free because I immediately start worrying. Like, how am I fucking in my relationship? Like I'm, I'm focused. I'm obsessed with this piece of code that I'm working on, but in the back of my mind, how am I fucking up my relationship uh, right now? And, and she, she, she does her best to make it okay. Not in a codependent way, just in a way that says, Hey, I know what you're going through and I'm not mad at you. And she'll like say out loud, I'm not mad at you, which is helpful. Mm. But yeah, it's I'm I'm coming down still. You can tell I'm a little bit uh we'll say frazzled, but um I am looking forward to going to see my therapist tomorrow, having had enough sleep. Oh, and I journaled oh, through good. this whole episode. Like he told me he wanted he wanted documentation of my manic episodes. And I was like, mm. just look at my GitHub chart. <laughs> you can tell where, where, when and where my manic episodes happen based on my GitHub activity. Uh, and he was pretty impressed by that. But I figured I'd go the extra mile and I started journaling as soon as I realized I was manic. Uh, and I've journaled every day through the process. And that first day, holy shit, I wrote four pages. Uh, it just pours out. Uh, and then today I wrote a paragraph. Uh, it waned off after a couple of nights without sleep. Have you ever but, journaled through a episode before? No, the closest I've gotten is blogging about, like I did a, a couple of blog posts. I did one during the mania and then forced myself during depression to do a follow-up. Like this is what the other side is like, uh, which is really hard for me. I typically don't write when I'm depressed. Uh, after 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 a you know a week of putting out a blog post every day, then there'll be like two weeks where I don't post at all. Um, yeah, but uh, that's the closest I've ever gotten to actually putting into words what was happening. Uh, so this time I have I have some documentation. I'm not asking you to be specific, but I'm curious. Um, we can get so sort of stuck in our stories about our mental health or about how we experience this thing or that thing, right? Because we kind of tell it the same way over and over. For me, the way that stuff breaks is when I can journal. Mm -hmm. That's when things like become, that's when I get surprised is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, yeah, you know, because yeah, it forces like, you to like re-remember or like re-experience and, and recontextualize. Oh, it's not just this loop that I've been replaying that I've told myself. It's, it's maybe these other things. And it's like truly, truly, truly not for an audience, right? Like not right. in any way, shape, or form. Um, and Brent, I was just curious if anything about the journaling, not that I'm expecting it should have surprised you. I'm just curious if it did surprise oh, you. totally, totally. Like a when I'm manic, I can start chaining together thoughts in ways that normally I would hit a logical conclusion very quickly. Uh, but when I'm manic, like... I one thing makes me realize another thing in succession and journaling in that state actually proved to be very um, in depth. Like I discovered things in the process that I hadn't previously realized. 
And they were things that I was excited to talk to my therapist about. And you're right. It is very different than writing for an audience because I'm in that I am, I'm mentally curating what I share. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I'm journaling, I took out all the filters and I'm, I'm, I'm honest with people, but I don't dig, I don't dig the way I did in in that journaling. So yeah, I learned. I don't feel like it's about being honest or not honest. I think that when you share about yourself in public, you're, you're crafting a self in the truest sense and, and you're crafting a self that is, I mean, hopefully you're able to craft a self that is, that is safe being that self out in the world. Right. And which no doubt means you're leaving parts out as you should. Right. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's very little I leave out. Um, yeah, no, I guess there are things I leave out just for people's sanity, but. Well, right. Cause that's, that's the thing is like, I, so it's funny because for me, I, the first time and really like the only time I was ever able to consistently journal and, and I kind of wish I could get back on it ironically was when I had a live journal starting in high school and then in college. And, and what I liked about that is that, yes, there was that public aspect, which yes, you, you can censor even if you're not trying to censor, like it just, as you were saying, you, you, there's a different craft. There's, there's, there's a different thing, but what was great about live journal is you could also have completely private posts right? That were only for yourself and, yeah. and that, that you could have there. And so, you know, like I, I appreciated that like motif. Cause I was like, I can do the thing that I'm used to doing that I've kind of made a habit of mine, which was like, good for me, but I can also be like really honest in a way that, that I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Even like, if you're not trying to hide things, you're not trying to lie. It's just like, there's stuff that not anybody else's business. They're personal writing. You know, I could still do that in that space. And I always like having kind of that dual thing, but I think you're right. Like it's very different, at least for me, even if we're, we tend to be more honest about how we do things about if you're just journaling for yourself, you don't ever expect anybody to read it. Maybe you don't even want anybody to read it. Right. Because that that's not how you're doing it versus knowing that someone could read it. Yeah. Yeah. I did this journal I wrote to my therapist. Um, I didn't write Dear Diary. Right. Like, in my head, I was like, these are things I want my therapist to know. That's really smart. Um, I don't know if that's smart or if that made me censor it a little bit because, um, like, I barely know the guy at this point. Uh, I, Although that's a good thing, I, too, right? Like, I, well, you don't know I'm somebody, supposed- like, you don't, like you don't have any of that built up of like, am I disappointing someone? Like, am they going to judge me in a way? It's like, I don't know this person who cares. Like, it's very important to me. If I'm going to make therapy work, it's very important to me that I don't lie and manipulate. Yes. Um, And so I, I approached it with that consideration in mind. Uh, But basically everything I wrote was stuff that I wanted him to read. Uh, Not the, Deep, I re- I've read, I've snuck in and read girlfriend's journals in the past, um, which is a super shitty thing to do. And if you're young and dumb, don't even don't fucking do that. Don't fucking do it. You a you don't want to do it. Fucking, a, a you, you don't, don't want to yeah. yeah, yeah, nothing, yeah, exactly. no, nothing you learn is going to make you feel good. There's the only nope. possibility you'll feel bad, and you are violating like the most intimate trust so you can ever have. It's with such it's a violation. Terrible. Yeah. And then and then you feel compelled to like confront them about this thing that that got under your skin, but then you have to admit that they that you read their journal and then holy shit, that yeah, you it is a world of hurt. It's a world of pain. 
Uh, j- never, ever, ever read someone else's journal. Just no. take it from a guy who's been young and dumb and jealous and stupid. Uh, just don't read anyone's journal. But I will say what I learned from that is that people who actually know how to journal, they don't, they don't filter. They just pour mm-hmm. it all out. And, and that's maybe something I, I think I filter everything on the fly. I don't think I know how to actually journal. I'm always, always writing for an audience, even when I'm writing for myself. Have you ever heard of the, I mean, this dates me because this is forever old. Um, The book, The Artist's Way by Julie Cameron. Anybody? Vaguely familiar. (laughs) Don't know what it is. So um, it's, it's a book about, it's just a book about creativity. It's a book about how to sort of um, claim your creativity and your, your creative self essentially. Um, And I read it. It's like a workbook kind of, I read it. Uh, back in 2000, maybe 1999. Um, but the thing that stuck with me, and I don't do it all the time, but it gets right to this. Is she, there's a practice she encourages you to do early on throughout the period that you're working through this workbook, which is like a couple months. And she calls it the morning pages. And the idea is that you just open up a journal or you grab three pieces of printer paper and you just write, you write three pages. You just write straight through. You don't, you're not trying to sound smart. Um, you're doing what you can do to make yourself feel safe that nobody would ever read this thing. Right. And it's just three pages. You don't write more. You just go, it's, you can write big, you can write small, whatever it is, but you just like, let it all flow out. First thing in the morning is sort of the primary idea. And um, what I have found when I'm, doing that and i i've done it the longest period i did it was like something like 170 days or something i wow. remember the I remember counting um you know you can one way she has you do it is just put those three pages in a sealed envelope when you're done and put it in a file cabinet you know, you're not supposed to even reread them it's just like the idea is and you're not going back to this nothing right um what i have found when i do that is that after a few days i am surprised every day. So I find it annoying to do sometimes. I'm not in the mood to do it. Sometimes I write really big so I can get through my three pages quickly. But if I do it every day, there is some little surprise in there and little surprise, nothing big, nothing mind blowing. That makes me think I'm really glad I did that today. And um, the fact of, you know, this idea that it's just three pages and nobody's ever going to read this. And I am not trying to sound smart. I'm not trying to get complete thoughts out. Um, you know, I'm not trying to explain something to myself, which is sometimes what can happen in journaling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just find that to be an amazing practice and I highly recommend it. Uh, what do you, why, why in the morning versus in the evening? Like, what do you write about in the morning? Like in the so, evening, I would write about my day. Here's, here's what I experienced. Here's how I felt about it. What do you write first thing in the morning? So for me, why it works well in the morning, and I've tried it all different points in the day, is that in the morning, I'm kind of putting myself on, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm, I'm dressing in me. Um, and I actually find the transition from sleeping and dreaming. I'm, I'm a very intense dreamer. So I find that transition from that point into breakfast, into work, to be actually really difficult and, and in need of some sort of ritual. Um, and, and this stops me when I'm doing it and it's not just that I need that ritual and I need it there more than any place else. I could also use a ritual at the end of the day for sure, like leaving work and going into family stuff. But like 
it's actually, it's a ritual, not just to transition myself um, physically into a new space, but it's like, I just come to find when I'm doing it in the morning that I have some leftover thoughts from the day before. I have some worries about the day. Um, I have some things that have been just sort of passing through my head, but I haven't really grabbed them and acknowledged that they're there. And, uh, and I find that I, I need to sort that stuff. I mean, I find, sorry, that it's super useful to sort that stuff in the morning before I enter into my day um, through these morning pages. Whereas the end of the day, it's just like, I'm more kind of exhausted and it's just more of a, yeah, and this and this and this and this and this. Whereas in the morning, it's like, I'm a little more open to the universe. And like, I haven't quite like, I haven't quite solidified into like who I am for the day yet. And so it feels like there's an opening there just to get a little metaphysical. All right. I, I'm going to have to give it a try. See what happens. Like, I, I like, I, I like the idea of, jur- I've always liked the idea of journaling, but now that I started, um, I'm definitely curious to see what else I can do with it. Cause like, I have all these tools that track what I'm doing and, and how it's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I can see my productivity. I can, I can remember what I was working on, but my feelings have always been kind of ignored. Yeah. Um, and you so get like in GitHub, unless you're a really good comment, right? Like yeah. a GitHub, a GitHub <laughs> activity chart for my feelings, which uh, you guys remember exist, exist.io. No. Um, it is, uh, it's a web service web app. I don't, anyway, um, it, you, at its core, you rate your mood from like one to 10 every day and you write a little status update, but you can write as much as you want and you can add all kinds of tags uh, at various times throughout the day. And you can, and it can automatically pull in data from other like social media sites. And every week it sends you a summary of like how you did that week. Like how were you feeling? What was your mood? And it's pretty basic. It's just, it's a mood tracking app. And I've kind of followed them from their inception like 10 years ago. Um, And I used it pretty frequently for almost two years. Uh, And then like in my head, I was capturing data that would be useful to me. Um, And ultimately uh, having years worth of mood data was not, it didn't help me make any decisions. And I kind of lost the drive to do it. But uh, I think it kind of serves the same purpose as, as, as journaling. Definitely. I think like if what you're wanting to get out of the journaling is to kind of track that sort of thing, I think it can like for, for me, journaling is about getting my thoughts and my feelings out. Even if I never look at it again, just so I can work through my emotions so that I'm not bottling it up and carrying it forward and making things bad, like by, 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 by having some explosion later on, because I never got my feelings out. Like that's what it is for me. I don't, mm. I, I can't say, say that for everybody else, but for me, pressure release. Yeah. Well, not even that, but just to be like, acknowledge that things happen and just write about stuff and just get my feelings out. And just like, now I can, I've worked through things because I've, I've been able to talk about some, some place I've been able to like do, do what I needed to do. Right. Like that, that becomes like a big thing. So, yeah. Does that uh, take, I'm curious, just generally for you, does that take a lot of journaling or a little journaling? I'm always surprised by how much can be done in a little bit. Yeah. What you just described sounded like a lot of work, but it does not for you. 
Well, I mean, it can. And again, I haven't done this regularly in a really long time, and I, and I should get back to it again. It could just be small things, right? It, it could be small yeah. things. And, and in some ways, to be honest with you, I kind of treat Twitter in some ways as as a journal a little bit. I kind of chronicle mm-hmm. things as they're happening. And like, if I'm frustrated with something that I'm like tweeting through my frustration, like maybe not the same way that I would like journal it, but I'm like, wow, this is really annoying and I'm doing this. And that's that's like a really good thing for me. That yeah. That's why I built Slogger. Like, so I started using day one and I was journaling a little bit in day one. And I realized most of what I was journaling was stuff that I had already tweeted. And so I built Slogger for anyone who doesn't know, it stands for social logger, which it was a horrible name, but it ran on a cron job or a, a launch D job. And it would basically bring in all of your tweets, all of your Instagram posts, mm-hmm. all of your Facebook posts, and just like create a day one journal of your social media, which in effect, what like what what you're talking about, Christina, it basically automated the process of right. journaling for me. Yeah. Uh, but only the stuff I was willing to share publicly. Right. That's the thing, right? And 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 that's why sometimes I have to like get myself back into that mindset where I'm like, okay, if I, I re- really need to do more personal journaling. And for me, like having it be in a web database and having the ability to kind of pick and choose what could be public and what could be private, like that, especially at that time in my life, right? Like that was, you know, when I was like 17, you know, 18 through like early 20s, like that was like a really formative time because you know your body's changing you have a lot of emotions like you're going through a lot of life yeah. changes like that's like a really formative time for a lot of people um and and so i think that that worked really well for me but i'm, I'm with you it's it, it, it doesn't bring in the stuff that you would do privately and for me like journaling because I, I tried a bunch of ways before like i'd always try to keep a diary or keep like a word document or, or other things and it's like i needed almost like I, it's almost like I needed that social interaction to make it a habit where I could then do like the, the personal writing stuff, if that makes any sense. Like yeah. I needed some sort of carrot, some sort of thing to pull me in. Live journal was great, man. Live journal was great. So you guys have heard of doing my little command line tool for, yes. like you can use absolutely that. use that for journaling you can add a note to any doing entry and you can open up an entry in your text editor and you can just like, as thoughts occur to you, as problems happen, as things like it's a very personal log file that can keep track of, you know, what you've committed to GitHub and what you've tweeted, but also like you can add all kinds of personal notes to that. And I've started doing that um, just over the last few days, uh, which is, now it's, I have a searchable, archivable version of my journal. I like that. Actually, I want to start using that. Um, I use doing off and on. I love doing. Um, I have a friend who just does uh, like essentially like what you would do to kind of comment out in bash as a command and uses that to log what he's working on and thinking. And then he just like makes it so that his bash history is is infinite and he can just kind of grab it basically, nice. which is genius. <laughs> Actually, he told me Wait, this when I, do what comment do comments get saved to your history? Yeah. Anything, any command you type in gets saved to your history. I didn't know that. All right. Yeah. Cool. He told me that either after I told him about doing or before I told him about doing, I'm not sure which, but anyway, right. I, when I've really got my shit together, I keep a document open called the distraction dump. And so if I have this like thing where I want to go Google something, I just type what I wanted to Google into that document 
I realized that would be a great use of doing. Because <laughs> you don't even, I mean, I totally. could just like. And you could tag it with at Google. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> All right, I'm going to think about that. I'll check back in. If I can, if I can segue this into, um, well, shit. Like, I want to talk about what I did during this manic episode. Yeah, please. Mm. But also, yeah. I'm suddenly finding it not that interesting. I mean, uh, no, okay, you, well, you, I'll, you're I'll not summarize. the one who gets to choose that. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you don't get to choose. <laughs> I'll summarize. Okay, history. I used to have a tool called Gather. It was a Cocoa app for Mac that you could paste a uh, URL into, and it would give you a markdown version after running it through readability and Aaron Schwartz's HTML to text. It it wor- it, it requires Python. Um, as all of my all of my markdownifying scripts require Python, and as of the last two OSs, Apple has stopped shipping Python by default. So all of my scripts only work if you are savvy enough to have installed like the command line tools right. or your your own versions of Ruby and Python and Perl. And so I was looking for an alternative, and it. I, it turned out that a guy who I had shared my original, like I've modified over the years, I've modified uh, read, H, H, uh, HTML to text to handle more modern markup and to output uh, more multi-markdown syntax. Uh, so I had shared that with this guy. And when I tweeted that I couldn't find a Swift or Objective-C version of this, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I converted your scripts to Swift long time ago," and he sent me the repos, and and they were in Swift, and I dug into them, and knowing that it would solve my problem that I could now release uh, Swift or compiled versions of these scripts, I decided I was going to learn Swift. So between last Friday and this Wednesday. I have learned enough Swift to be dangerous. I've learned I've learned by hacking, but then I also went back and loaded up the most recent version of Apple's Swift, uh, their book on books.app. I had the original like Swift 1.0 yes. version, and yep. it's just a it's it's updated itself over time. Yeah, I was gonna say it keeps updating itself, which I both like and don't like. Like I appreciate that it updates itself, but I'm also kind of like Okay, but I'd like to see a diff of this because... Well, dude, I've watched the changes in Swift over the last five versions, and it has been enough to dissuade me from learning Swift because, like, core things are changing. Yes. Okay. Same, <laughs> same because because I, like, got excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to get really into Swift. And then, like, every major version, I'm like, oh, so this is completely different, and I, I can't yeah. rely on this. Like, I feel like... You know, like Objective C and Cocoa and stuff. It's like they added new features, but it wasn't like if they deprecated something, Didn't, they could, it wasn't breaking. It w- they right. weren't breaking changes. Exactly. Whereas now, it's like it feels like, and I know this isn't true, but it feels like every year they change. They make some sort of massive breaking change. It does where feel it, like where, that. where if if you've done something, you can't do it. And so I don't know. Like I have a. This is my own personal like rant that I'll go on. I think that that's really hurt the adoption outside of people who write iOS apps and certain macOS apps, right? Because you, there are still a lot of macOS apps that people still write in Objective-C for reasons like we're saying, because they've either existed for a long time or they need to do certain things that Swift and the various Swift kits can't do. 
And I'm like, yeah, it's great to have updates, but it's not great to like maybe make you have to refactor everything you're well, doing. I'm, so the, the detriment is it's a constantly expanding language. Yeah. So if you want to, you could lock into a version of the compiler. Sure. And and your code would continue to work. Sure. But if you want to take advantage of That's what's what being I mean. added each year, then right. you have to adapt. That's what I mean. You look at something like .NET. .NET has had a bunch of variations, had a bunch of shit over the years and whatnot. But if you want to add in some of the new features, they have gone out of their way to make it possible to add those things without having to adopt the whole new set. Now, they went through their own, there was like .NET and .NET Core and, and, and all these other like iterations and all these other things. And like they went through a bunch of stuff. Now they're actually solidified on one base that runs multi-platforms and whatnot, and they're adding things back. But it felt like, it, you know, the, basically, I think probably because they knew that that Windows devs were are not like Mac devs and that they will, you know, adopt the newest thing, no matter how much work it is for them, because Apple said so and, and you know, the users will demand it. You know, the, 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 the Windows devs are kind of like, fuck you, like, we're going to do whatever we, we need to do. Um, but, um, like, we're, we're, we're going to adopt our own thing. And if anything, we're going to hold things back because you didn't make the new thing work with our old workflow. All I'm saying is, I think that this is one of those things that if you look at this thing, it can keep people from wanting to jump in just because you know that if you want okay. to adopt new things, if you want to keep up with things, you're going to have to be on this running treadmill forever. It kept me from wanting to jump in for like five years. I watched all of the tribulations that developers who immediately adopted Swift went through. I will say, now that I'm into the thick of it, it is a way more fun language than Objective-C. Way more fun. Mm -hmm. Everything about it makes more sense. Everything about it is far more reasonable than Objective-C. Like, if you want to concatenate two strings, you can use, uh, like, plus equals. You can use, like, an additive operator. And in Objective-C, you'd have to do, like, string by appending string, and that it's it's ridiculous. So, it's a better language. I love it. I'm really into it. Um, and I got, like, I was able to update HTML to text uh, the Swift version with all of the new features I wanted to add. And I also, it, it also uses uh, a port of Arc 90's readability. Uh, if you guys remember that, that I have modernized for modern markup. It basically, it, it finds the actual content on a web page and extracts or removes sidebars and headers and advertisements and comments and all of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I built special handling for any stack exchange question get special handling so that you get the question and the answers and there are flags on the app that let you include comments or exclude comments or only include their accepted answer or only include answers that have so many upvotes and then special handling for developer forums on Apple, etc. Anyway, I, I got crazy with it. I made a tool that you could basically embed into a shortcut or an automator workflow or any script you are working on and and have full power of uh, uh, markdownification. And uh, I just, before this podcast, added um, the ability to clip directly into an NV Ultra or NV Alt note. 
Uh, you can add a flag and it will mark down the page and create a new note in one step, which nice. now I have that in a launch bar action and I can, I can turn any web page I'm reading into a markdown note in NV Ultra with, with a keystroke. Um, I love it. Yeah, it got, it got crazy. It, it did. It got crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, so I go to release it. I, it's, I, I compile it as a binary. Uh-huh. And it's the first time I've ever released a single binary. Uh, not a script mm. and not an app, but a mm-hmm. binary. And I code sign it, I zip it, and I put it up on the web. And, you know, it runs fine for me. And then I hear immediately from someone who's like, I get a malicious software warning when yeah. I try to install oh, this. Boy. And it turns out you can't code sign, you can't notarize a single binary. You can only notarize a package. Yeah. Huh. So then I go through this rabbit hole and I finally figure out the only way to distribute it is to create a PKG file that I, I, I send to Apple's notary service. I get notarized and then publish that PKG file, which is then an installer. And then right. you can only install it to one location. And it's not ideal, but I'm like, okay, I can work with it. And then I figure most of the people who would actually use this have homebrew installed. And I really need yeah. to figure out how to build a homebrew formula. And I go to homebrew, homebrew's formula documentation is fucking intense. Yeah, it's it so is. long. It and, is, but, and I'm, but it's I'm, very good. It's very good, but I'm going through it trying to figure out what the little bit of it that I need is. No, 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 I understand. I'm just saying. Cause, cause impossible. I've, yeah, because I've had to package fonts before. Like, oh my God. Uh, or I had tried to package a fonts on, on Homebrew and it was was like not mine, but I was just going to be like the packager. And so, yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. I eventually found after after going through several tutorials that were outdated because homebrew's formula has changed. changed. Yep. Um, but I found an NS hipster article that I'll link in the show notes for anyone who does care about this. Um, it, it took me five minutes. Once I understood the, the few things I actually needed. Uh, now you can just type brew tap TT scoff slash yep. the lab. Yep. And then brew install gather dash CLI and, and you're good to go. You have a, uh, a, a copy compiled on your own system so you don't have to worry about notarization or anything. And Which is great, yeah. Although there is a certain irony that the whole reason you went through this process was that you didn't want people to have to install Xcode tools to right. be able to run these things, right? <laughs> but, I mean, that was the whole reason you did this. But, of course, in order to have Homebrew installed, you still have to have Xcode tools installed. So there is a certain irony in this, right? Uh, that you went through this entire process to avoid something that's still going. People are still going to have to do anyway. But in my in my manic in my manic frazzled state, I hadn't even considered that that's obvious. Awesome, irony. Christina. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. But in fairness, once they've gone through it, this will make updating it much easier. Right. If you don't already have homebrew up and running and you use a Mac and you're any kind of nerd, you really should get it up and running. Totally. Like you should already have that working, I, um, which is probably a, a fair assumption that most of the scripts I share are going to people who already have all of the processors, but it's a, it's a principle. It's the principle of the thing. Totally. Um, but yeah, homebrew is amazing. And 
it, like it has surpassed all other package managers. And now that it can install, like ever since casks showed yeah. up, and yeah. and now you can create a brew file big, that automatically installs all of your apps yep. and your command line utilities. How um, I love my brew file. Me too. Homebrew. I, uh, I spent a ton of time with Mike uh, McQuaid, who's like the, the main maintainer uh, of, of Homebrew at our um, little mini summit a couple months ago. And I might have fangirled a little bit, to be completely honest. Yeah, hobnobbing <laughs> with the stars. Because I was like, yeah. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm such a huge fan. I've been such a huge fan for such a long time. And I really appreciate what Homebrew does. And the fact that it works on Linux now. And like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like which... Which I get. I'm like, well, there are a million other package managers. Yes, I understand that. I like Homebrew. Fuck off. Oh, that makes me want. That makes me want a Docker image that installs Homebrew on uh, Linux that I can just use Brew to install all of the packages I need. Apt-get is a pain in the ass sometimes. It is. Um, anyway, okay. I didn't want to go too in depth about Gather. Uh, Great. I built a tool. It markdownifies web pages. You can incorporate it into scripts. It was a blast. And I, I did it all in a weekend. And I'm really happy with it. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. It's time to talk about Text Expander. Get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. With Text Expander, your team's knowledge is at their fingertips. Get your whole team on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone that needs to use it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments, so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and isn't spending time reinventing the wheel. But here's how it works. First, you store it. Keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within Text Expander. Then you can share it. Get your whole team access to all the content they need to use every day. Then you expand it. Deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps you use. It is that easy. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. It's everywhere you need it to be. Uh, overtired listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. And actually, I am going to say more. You know how I've used Text Expander that's relevant to this episode? We've talked so much about journaling. I used to keep a, a daily journal template in Text Expander, and it was essentially just I open up a text file and I, I type my shortcut and a whole template of prompts and 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 various ways into journaling came before me. Uh, it was magical, and it helped me a lot um, because before I even knew what I was doing, I was journaling. So anyway, text expander, friends. Do you guys have time for one TV show? Yeah, we, um, yeah, we, yeah. We, so, we've got time. So, uh, have you seen Welcome to Wrexham? No. No. It is, it's Ryan Reynolds and Rob, and I never say his last oh, name. Oh, right? I, uh, I, Rob McElady from oh, yeah, Sunny in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. McElrainy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They it's buy, they buy a, a football, a soccer. Let's, let's be American about it. They buy a soccer team. Uh, they're currently in like the third tier league. And so they buy, they buy basically a loser soccer team in, in Wales. Yeah. And it's a documentary that's tracking like 
maybe how they turn this team around, but it's only there are only two episodes out. So is Ted Lasso, but like real life. Yeah. Thing. This okay. is documentary. Well, I was going to say, it. I remember now hearing that Ryan Reynolds had bought like a, um, a, a club, but I didn't realize that, that Mac bought the club with him. This is amazing. And I'm like very into this because And they I love had never met before this. Okay. So that makes That's it even amazing. better. <laughs> so real quick pivot. Do either of you watch the Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia podcast? No. No. Okay, you have to. It's like one of those recap po- podcasts, except they completely dismiss of any idea that they're bothering with recapping the episodes at all. Like they'll show me- share memories about stuff, but honestly, it's just the three of them talking the shit and occasionally bringing in, you know, other guests and people from the show and whatnot. It is the Always Sunny awesome. podcast is everything that you like love about Always Sunny, but you actually get to see like the people like the guys like you really get a feeling like it's just like kind of the three of them like talking the shooting the shit and like having a good time but mm-hmm. but the podcast is is great highly recommended to anybody who watches the show and likes the show um because it's all three of them are brilliant and that show's gonna fucking pass the honeymooners if it hasn't already like it's it's gonna <laughs> it, it, it's no it's gonna pass gunsmoke that's what it is it's gonna fucking pass gunsmoke it's gonna become like the longest running televised like like live action show of all time which is insane like yeah. It's it's gonna like fucking always sunny in Philadelphia. That and that and Grey's Anatomy. Those are the two that are gonna fucking beat Gunsmoke, man. Which is insane. In the <laughs> first episode of Welcome to Wrexham, Mac is like, "So I have TV star money, uh, but if I want to do this, I need movie star money." <laughs> <laughs> so he brings in Ryan Reynolds, and honestly, I can listen to Ryan Reynolds just riff yeah. all day. So should we do some gratitude before it gets too long? Let's grab a grab a gratitude. I'll start off. Yeah, I can go first. Please do. Um, I'm, I have an app called All That Unicode. It's a cool app that basically just gives you access to every Unicode character through different like there's a picker and you can go through categories and there's a finder to search by name and description and for anyone writing code who wants to include a unicode character whether it's an emoji or you know like a cyrillic <laughs> r symbol or whatever it it's a perfect yeah for web devs too who who need to know the the unicode code to insert a character in a web page it it's it's a perfect little app it does exactly what it needs to do i uh I've been very impressed with it. I used it a bunch of times today. That's my pick for the day. <laughs> awesome. What do you got, Christina? Um, okay. I think I'm going to talk about a more general kind of thing, and I want to dive into this maybe as a topic in a future episode. So I've been spending a lot of time kind of looking at, at alternative web browsers. So getting away from just using, you know, like like Safari, Firefox, Edge, um, you know, uh, Chrome, and looking at some other ones out there. And Obviously, most of them are using the Chromium uh, rendering engine, but there's one notably that, that doesn't. But I've been playing around with um, Opera, which, you know, I think, <laughs> I think Chinese own it now, but it's sort of interesting. Vivaldi, which also not... Old school. Which, which huh. but they've been keeping them updated, which is interesting. They're kind of like a, the brave school, but they do some interesting things. There's one called Arc. Arc is uh, from a browser company, which is really about like making like your work stuff more productive. Arc is interesting. But the one I'm going to mention... 
ARC. Yeah. I, I think that like you still have to sign up. It's it's like it's like browser.company, I think is the website. Um, but I think um or no, it's the browser.company, I think. Um you have to get on a waiting list for it. Um, but uh I, I I'm a fan. The one I'm gonna talk about is Orion, which I don't know if I've mentioned before. I think I might have. Oh, yeah. So uh, I don't Orion, think you have, but I, I so curious. Orion's in public beta now, so you don't have to sign up on, on a form like you used to. It is interesting because it is using WebKit under the hood. So this is a Mac app. So it's using WebKit under the hood, but they have it so that it's working with most Chrome extensions and um, also making some other changes and niceties and things that, frankly, Safari doesn't do. So there's, it's kind of like, in some ways, if I think if this were able to be maintained well, it's kind of the best of both worlds because you get the performance and like the battery impact and, and resource stuff of Safari but all the stuff that you can't get with Safari, you know, like the extension situation and some other, you know, kind of like niceties and the, 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 the developer tools, I think are, yeah, I mean, they're basically Chromes, but they're, uh, you know, but at this point, Safaris are basically Chromes too. So it, it, it's from a company called uh, Kagi or Kagi, K-A-G-I. Kagi, yeah, old school company. No, they're no, the, that, company went ar- that company went out of business. They bought the oh, really? name. Yeah, yeah. So huh. that, company, that, that company is gone. And and this is uh, a, a new guy. He was somebody who he sold something and got money off of it. His, I think the whole play on this is there's going to be like a paid search engine, which is supposed to be like privacy focused. I have no idea. But, um, you know, I'm not really necessarily going to be into paying $10 a month for, for a search engine. Google has all my information anyway. But the browser is definitely worth checking out. Uh, it doesn't work super well with 1Password. Um, which is frustrating. So I can't, I would never use it as a daily driver, but I think that it's one that I definitely think is worth checking out. And I'll say this, even if it's not something that you want to use like all the time, I'm glad that we're seeing people like playing around with and having new takes on browsers again. And it's nice to see an actual WebKit derived one rather than just a Chrome. Yeah, right. (laughs) Another Chromium browser. Right. Awesome. Nice. That's cool. That sounds fun to play with. Um, mine is uh, this app. I don't know if it's pronounced Anki or Anki or <clears throat> A-N-K-I. It's a flashcards app. It's like a nerdy oh, yeah, flashcards yeah, yeah. app. It's been around forever, and, and it looks like it. I mean, like, it's, it's one of those things that's just stayed steady. The design hasn't changed. I mean, you can do things to create themes and whatnot, but I've been using it. It just does a really nice job of helping you create a hierarchy of cards in, in real time as you're doing the flashcards um and just a wonderful job of guiding you and just kind of bite-sized study and there's tons of flashcard sets that exist or decks that exist already out there anyway i had used it years ago i use it just to like keep certain commands that are like just outside my everyday use fresh in my head it's kind of fun for me yeah. um I've been doing it with Git actually because there's so many weird ass Git commands that you never use that I just like being aware of them. But anyway, I've been using it to build up some decks or some stuff I'm trying to know better. And and it's awesome. And it's also, if, in terms of the community that uses this thing, it's such a fucking crazy 
peek into the world of medical school because it's primarily like has a user base of medical students Mm -hmm. and those people are fucking bananas and the ways in which they use this thing like there's a (laughs) there's one repo that helps you use your nintendo switch controllers your joy cons nice to like zip through your flashcards <laughs> like i don't even understand what they're doing because it's just like so beyond my use case so there's it. just like this really like nutty community of mostly medical students and that alone is just kind of fun to <laughs> figure out how deep into that uh, shit they can I get, get can i get flashcards on my oculus because i would do that you know what? Um, that is a great idea for the Oculus. I also, my kids bought an Oculus and I was thinking how great it would be to build a memory palace in an Oculus. Yeah. Um, you know, no, like, and there's well, one app that kind of does it, but. There's an app, you can mirror a Windows desktop to Oculus and yeah. use your computer in a virtual space, which I love the idea of I just need it to be for Mac and that doesn't exist. Yet. No, and well, it you can do it with it. Firefox though. You can, uh, which is true. different, but like Firefox has a little bit of an environment that's just beyond the browser huh. that you can play with, but I haven't tried it yet. That's so cool. anyway, sorry. Anyway. Sorry, to, sorry to hijack your, that's yeah. not hijacking shit. No, I love I'm this. Good. Uh, also the, I will hijack slightly, but we should maybe talk about this more. I bought a, I bought an Oculus quest too. Uh, oh, you have one too. We just yeah, did too. Yeah. So I, I got yeah. it before the price went up. And so. We yep. Like, same. So, so, <laughs> same. So, 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 okay. So, all right. So this is a future topic. All three of us need to talk about, about our experiences uh, with, uh, with the metaverse since um, we bought into it before the price went up. Have you guys right. found Skybox yet? Not yet. Plex for Oculus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any movie file you have on your Mac, you can play to your Oculus it's without any special connectors or anything. Nice. Not as satisfying as you want. The first thing I did in the Oculus Quest 2 was pull up Netflix and watch a w- Richard Pryor performance. I love watching Netflix on my Oculus. I did not like it. I thought it would be the really? best thing in the world. Yeah. Oh my God, I love we'll talk it. About I this. Would we'll just have rather, an Oculus Yeah, episode. we should have an Oculus episode. Where we Definitely all meet have in, the, in the metaverse. <laughs> this this episode title will be not the Oculus episode. <laughs> um, Anki, man, I remember Anki from. Someone asked me to incorporate it with some piece of software I wrote like ten years ago. Hmm. It's been around for a while. Effective though. Yeah, there's definitely room for Terpstra yes ending <laughs> in it for sure. <laughs> All right, everybody, y'all get we should some call stuff. it. We should definitely call. Yeah, you get some sleep. Bye. Bye. The system is going down low. Hey there, good people. Before you go, we have a bunch of new places where you can interact with us. Please check out our Instagram feed, our YouTube channel, Twitter, of course, and sign up for the Overtired newsletter which will sort of pick up where the show leaves off with expanded show notes, uh, a little bit of what the three of us get up to between episodes. And let's face it, there'll be some musings. How can you resist musings? You'll find details for all the ways to interact with us in the show notes and at overtiredpod.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening.